said, it's a joy to be here this morning. We're going to wrap up a series on prayer, the series that we're calling Communion and Kingdom. And some of you have been in the room and you're like, all right, bro, I've, I've done this for about three weeks now and I have no idea what this has to do with communion or kingdom, right? And so let me just kind of catch everybody up, kind of get you in the mindset of where uh, this title kind of came from. Uh, it is through prayer, it's through our church's involvement in prayer that, uh, that we commune with God, that we draw near to God and, draw, and God draws near to us. And so uh, in, in this, in this uh, kind of time where we're, we're pointing our church and uh, preparing our hearts to be a people that are devoted to prayer, uh, we pray that you are communing with God and, and and as you commune with God and as we uh, you know, get, get to, uh, to, to lean in and press into God and let him do some work on our lives, what begins to happen is our minds and our hearts begin to align with God's heart and God's mind. Uh, and we begin to grow in a concern for the kingdom. So you have this communion and kingdom that, uh, that kind of runs, these two threads that kind of run throughout this discipline of prayer. And so we, we do pray that you are uh, giving yourself to be a praying people in this time. This is uh, really not just a series, but this is a, a movement that, uh, of prayer that we've kind of started in all of our uh, local uh, Middle Tennessee campuses. And, um, and these, this, this series will, will happen around the, the globe in our, in our Brussels campus, in our Bangkok campus uh, eventually. And, and this is a movement of prayer because uh, we acknowledge that if, if this church, this church plant, uh, Life Point Borough, wants to be a body of influence, we've got to be a people that are uh, involved in prayer. And so uh, from, from our preschool ministry, through our kids' ministry, through our student ministry, into our adult ministry or, or just our, our corporate gathering, how, how, how we are here today, we're, we're giving ourselves to praying. Uh, we've been talking about and considering prayer and looking at it from several different angles and and really, as we've been going throughout the series, uh, everything that we talk about is not centered on uh, David's ideas, on Pat's ideas, our senior pastor, uh, on my ideas. Uh, it, it, is, it is found here in the Word of God. This is our foundation uh, by which all of our, uh, our, our programs, all of our series, all of our teaching is driven. Uh, at our core value at LifePoint, our number one core value at LifePoint is that we're going to honor the Word. And so as we've been considering the scriptures, it's been, uh, I hope, challenging you to devote yourself to, to prayer, to depend upon prayer. If we seek to live a holy life in this culture and society that we live in, and we're all very aware, aware of the kind of society and culture that we live in, uh, if we seek to live a set-apart life, we've got to be a people that press into the Lord uh, and depend upon the Lord solely. If we want to be a uh, a body of influence, not just in this city, but around the world. If we want to be kingdom builders, we've got to be a people that pray. And so uh, our church uh, has, been, has been challenged to pray. We don't want to be a, a ministry. LifePoint doesn't want to be a ministry that is defined by, uh, you know, incredible uh, worship experiences. We are blessed to have that. Um, we're, we don't want to be defined by great planning that all of our calendars seem to align, and we're incredible planners. We want to be a people that God would look on and say, man, they depend on me through prayer. Uh, as this church, uh, you know, is, is in the grassroots of uh, planning uh, here in, this, in the borough, uh, if we want to be a people that have a lasting impact in this community, um, the scriptures are clear, we've got to depend upon the Lord's hand to do so. Uh, and we do that through our devotion to prayer. You know, one of the, the distinguishing elements, one of the, the, the distinguishing elements and uh, values of our body, LifePoint, uh, that I'm so blessed to call uh, my church home is that we have a heart for sending and living sin uh, to, to a DNA that runs throughout all of our ministry areas to be a people that are concerned, that set our faces and hearts to the nations. 
this is where God's face and God's heart is. And we, we understand that this calling and conviction that God has given LifePoint, uh, it, it is, you see this uh, it, as you just walk throughout the hallway, you'll hear people talking about living sin and uh, our sending experiences and, uh, and how we are a, a, a sending church. You'll hear that about LifePoint. And the reason uh, this is is because this is God's heart. And, and we understand that this conviction that God has placed on LifePoint is, is a, way over our heads. That, that, uh, that this, this is a po- impossible apart from God's provision, apart from God's hand on our body. We cannot, uh, we cannot carry out the calling and the conviction that God has, pra- has placed on this body. And so because our calling exceeds our capability, because our calling exceeds our competency, because our calling exceeds our capacity, we cannot abandon a posture of prayer. It cannot just be, and my hope is that it isn't just a series, that after today, as we wrap up this series, that your involvement in prayer just checks out. That's, I hope that's not the case. I hope that you understand through this series that we have got to be a people that can continually, repeatedly, persistently pray as we seek to have influence in this city and this is the heartbeat of our series. If you are new with us, we're so glad uh, that you're here. And today, what, uh, what I want us to, to see is that prayer is not just the launch pad of Christian mission, but it is the spark that ignites our sending. As we understand that we are a sending church, prayer is the spark that ignites that movement within us, that, that heartbeat within our church to go. Uh, as a bit of recap, um, you, you might be turning it on the last week of this series. A bit of a recap. In the first week of our series, we saw that, uh, that we, we kind of looked at the early church. And we saw the influence the early church has. And the reason that we sit in this room today is because of the influence that the early church had. And we saw that it was directly tied to its involvement in praying. The second week of the series, we looked at the model prayer. And the reason, uh, and some of you would, would know that as the Lord's Prayer. But this wasn't a prayer that the Lord prayed that Jesus prayed. This was a prayer that he gave us as to, uh, the Lord's prayer is a prayer that Jesus gave us to be a model for how we should pray. And so we looked at that. We continued uh, kind of in that vein. And last week, Kyle was here snowmageddon. And so uh, many of you weren't here. You didn't get a chance to get out. You were still digging out of your houses, uh, you know, or your couches. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we were, uh, and, and listen, that's not a derogatory statement at all. Um, but anyway, so listen, we were, uh, we, we looked at what it means to persistently pray right? How do we pray persistently? The Lord calls us to pray without ceasing. How do we do this? And so we, we kind of consider these things. If you uh, missed any of those weeks, go online, check that out on our media page. Uh, but today, just again, our bottom line is this, praying ignites sending. Praying ignites sending. It is the spark that moves our sending, that starts this movement of, of sending within our church. And so you've heard it said maybe that, uh, that prayer, that you, that you need to begin with the end in mind, you ever heard that said? Yes? Somebody? Yeah? You mean to begin with the end in mind? Well, today I want to do that. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Just four small verses there uh, that are just loaded with content for us to consider today as we seek to be a church of influence. Uh, and so let's, let's start with verse 38 because this really provides a helpful backdrop for where we're going to go. And so verse 38 says, it says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to say that again. Therefore, this is a word that connects back, kind of points back to something you just learned. We're going to learn a lot this morning. Uh, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
You see, this verse is very clear that Jesus wants us to be a people that pray that the Lord would send. That our heart would be aligned with his and that we would be a people uh, that send. And this is why this, this series, I mean, this, 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 this morning, our bottom line is that praying ignites sending. Because the very last verse of our time together will tell us that God is calling us to pray that he would send. And so as we pray, we send. And, and I want to show you this. Uh, any uh, great movement of God was always preceded by prayer. If you look at the early church in, in Acts, in the book of Acts, just, just right after the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, the early church in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter, one of the uh, Lord's disciples, was praying on the rooftop right, of his house. Praying on the rooftop, and the Lord uh, uh, drew Cornelius to him, uh, a Gentile, and uh, Peter shared the gospel with the first Gentile, and we, we see this Gentile conversion. With the first Gentile conversion, we see that this movement of prayer, Peter praying, this was uh, this, this ignited and sparked this movement of the gospel, not only to the, the Jews, but moving it towards the nations, to the Gentiles. And so this movement of the gospel was preceded by prayer. Acts chapter 13, the church of Antioch was gathered together. They're in this intense time of praying, like our church has been in this movement, this, this praying uh, season in their church. And they were, they were gathered together praying. And what happened out of this prayer gathering? Paul and Barnabas were sent out as the first cross-cultural missionaries. See, this, this movement of God, this movement of the gospel was preceded by prayer. Our church, a little history lesson, I didn't know this, but uh, before I came on staff in 2004, uh, our, our church was gathered together in a thing called our sacred gathering. It was this uh, intense time of um, devoted prayer uh, and fasting where our church was asking the Lord to put his hand and, uh, on our church and to, and to direct us and where he would have us to go. Out of this, uh, this prayer gathering, um, fervently seeking the Lord, many families felt a call to, to go, to, to, to sell all, and to go be uh, missionaries uh, across, across culture, uh, across the sea, uh, to Bangkok, to Brussels. Uh, and, and this was an incredible time in our church. But it also, this was the time where God set the, our faces of our church towards the nations. And he gave us this vision for, uh, to send and live sent, to be a sending church. Praying ignites sending. It's true, throughout the, uh, it's true throughout the scripture, and it's true in our body this morning. And so with all of this in mind, with the, the understanding that prayer uh, not only motivates our sinning, but it ignites it within us. Let's pray this morning before we dive in and begin to look at these, uh, these passages and ask that he would have his way. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I do pray, uh, Father, you would speak through me, that God, you would... Uh, Father, just if, in this room, God, you would create a, uh, a desire, a heartbeat, a hunger to see those uh, far from you, Father, come to know you. God, I pray that you would, fa you would set our faces this morning towards the nations. Father, towards our neighbors, God, towards our, uh, our co-workers, Father, that you would concern us with the kingdom of God. Father, I do confess that this is... Uh, this is larger than us, that we cannot do this, Father. And so I pray that you would move uh, in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look at this passage together. We're going we're to dive in. Verse 35 through 38, we'll read this together. It says this. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, 
This is Jesus. When he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, that's where we just started this whole thing. Therefore, pointing back to all this, pray. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest. You know, according to some recent census in 2014, I believe it was, uh, numbers came back and said that the population of Murfreesboro was uh, north of 100,000 people. 2014, north of 100,000 people. Today, you could, you could ask a lot of people, and they would say 110, 120,000. Uh, in, in the Smyrna area, maybe you, you find yourself in that area, maybe it's where you live. There was uh, 2014, again, a census came back, and the numbers uh, for Murfreesboro, I mean, for Smyrna were 45,000, greater than 45,000 people. Uh, recent, uh, uh, recent estimates in, in a, a census that are going on today um, and some population projections state that our area uh, is going to double in the next 20 years. Double in size. Some of you are not surprised by that if you've been on Old Fort at all, right, or Memorial, right? You go into Stones River, and, you know, you're, you, you don't want anyone to know you go to Life Point, okay? Uh, listen, I mean, it, we're blowing up. This place is growing, growing, growing. Uh, and and, and our, our present reality today is that uh, less than 15% of our population whether you live in the borough, whether you live in Smyrna, or whether we consider it as a whole, are involved in church, are plugged into a church. Now I want us to begin to think through the implications that this places and the great responsibility this places on the church when we get, begin to consider, consider 20 years from now, when our population is going to be, in the greater Nashville area, is going to be greater than a million people living here. And if you, if you know anything about the, the rate of gr Christian growth, it's, we're not growing in picking up a great percentage of people. What's actually happening is the opposite. Churches are closing their doors. People are walking away from the faith. Less and less people, as we become more and more post-Christian, we are not a Christian nation any longer. If, any, if you're living under that uh, facade or someone spoke that into your mind and you're kind of gripping, holding on to it, let go of it. It's, it, it's not the truth any longer. We do not live in a Christian nation. And so progressively, Christianity is declining, not only around the world, but in our community today. So when we begin to think about the responsibility this places on our church, we begin to think about the people that are coming to this area, flocking to this area at a rapid pace. Many questions begin to kind of well up in our minds. What are we going to do? How are we going to reach them? What ministry do we need to start? What, what campaign do we need to launch? Do we need a new series? Do we need core lights? What do we need? Maybe the question you're asking yourself right now in, in light of all this information is who's going to do it? Who's going to go? Who is going to take care of all of these needs? Who's going to uh, speak the gospel to all of these people as they come? And what I love about the passage today is it answers these questions for us. It really challenges us personally as we consider the reality that the laborers are few and the harvest is plentiful. So, with that in mind, we're going to dive in. Verse 35, it says this, it says, And Jesus went throughout. This is important. Uh, we'll just stop right there. Jesus went throughout. Notice where we find Jesus uh, when the story picks up. Where was he? He was out. That's, that's the key word in throughout. Jesus was out. He was going. 
In other words, Jesus didn't sit back and wait for people to come to him. He didn't just, uh, you know, open the doors out there, you know, get some coffee brewing in here and just wait for people to come down the hallways. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went to people. He was out with people. And as our church seeks to see a movement of God started in this body, we've got to be a people that do the same, that we've got to go to people. We've got to be with people. We've got to be concerned with people. You know, in our Christian culture today, the one thing that, uh, that, that is a very real threat to our growth is, is in, in our impact and influence in our society is that as a, in our Christian culture where information is readily available like McDonald's. I mean, it's on everywhere. It's on, our, uh, it's on our phones. It's on our iPads. It's on our smart TVs. It's in our radios. It's it, information overload. It's always there. What we can do many times is, is find ourselves sitting and absorbing rather than going. And the threat this places on the church is that if we are not careful, we can allow the, uh, just the Bible studies and the holy hangs at Starbucks to become a wall that we begin to manufacture to separate ourselves from the world, from the people that God's calling us to reach. Although we might be trying to understand some more about the Lord, what I want you to understand is that we've also got to be content. We've got to be concerned with, with the people that God is calling us to reach. And I want you to understand something too. Uh, theology is important. We've got to know, we've got to study the Lord. We've got to know God's heart. But what I understand is that when it comes to our mission, the Christian mission, we've got to be as equally concerned with what we're putting in as going out, equally. And, and as we seek to know the Lord, and, and when we know the Lord, when we study uh, when we study theology, we develop a better understanding of who God is. We, we begin to understand his heart, and we begin to let uh, him work on our, our hearts, and we begin to uh, kind of change as, as he molds our minds and hearts. What happens is this, this, uh, this pursuit of knowledge will lead us to going. Growing always leads to going when it comes to our Christian faith. Spiritual development. Growing always leads to going, not sitting and absorbing. We've got to be a people that look at the, the places that God has as, as, as fields of harvest, opportunities, and, and pray as we go that God would place people before us, give us opportunities, and that we would be intentional as we do so. We're going to live sent like Jesus. We've got to pursue him, and in pursuing him, we're going to find him in the going of ministry. We've got to be a people who are out. We surround ourselves with people. Jesus was concerned with the people, and it says as he was going throughout. Now, where was he going throughout? All the cities and villages. This is important for us to see. See, Jesus wasn't in just the populated areas like Nashville or Murfreesboro, but he was in the more obscure outlying areas even. He was in the lower population areas like Walter Hill or uh, Antioch, which is not really a low population, but, but I'm just saying the more outlying areas. Jesus, the point is that Jesus was, was going throughout. He wasn't just going to work. He wasn't just coming to church. Jesus was going throughout, and as he went, he was intentional. He says he was going throughout all the cities and villages, and I love how the Lord uh, planned all this. He is sovereign over all of this. He, the fact that we gather here today, that we gather here today, that we gather in Smyrna, that, that there's a gathering that's already happened in Brussels, and, uh, and it happened while we were sleeping in Bangkok. There is this, uh, as we gather together in what the places that God has, is that we gather to worship, but then we go to reach. 
He has you where he has you for a reason, where you live. Do you see that as an opportunity for influence? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the spiritual condition of your coworkers? Do you see that as an opportunity? And, and so as we tie this back into our series, are we praying that God would put these people on our hearts, that he would put intentional opportunities before us? See, Jesus was going throughout, and as he went, he was intentional, but we've got to understand that praying ignites sending. As we pray that God would put these things in our path, it will give us a heart for the people. Praying ignites sending, but look what he was doing. Look at the action of Jesus, the activity of Jesus as he was going about all the cities and villages. It says he was teaching in their synagogues. Jesus was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, it says. And I just want to pause there. It also says he was healing, but I want to pause right here because I don't want us to blow by something. You know, it says Jesus was intentional with the speaking opportunities. So he's teaching and proclaiming. I think it's important. God is a God of order. And so he puts these things first and foremost because I think they're important to people's spiritual conditions. Jesus was speaking the gospel. One of the biggest flaws that we can commit in our Christian lives is, is believing that the speaking of the gospel is for the hired gun. That the speaking of the gospel is for the pastor. That the speaking of the gospel, that the proclaiming of the gospel is for the missionary. That it's for the, the worship leader or whoever stands on this stage. So what I want us to understand is that the gospel is no sweeter off the lips of a pastor than from a neighbor or coworker to one who's never heard it. And the underlying reality that I think is, is the motivation for this flawed thought of, of, the, of the speaking engagements belonging to the pastor or the, the, the public speaker, I think the motivation underneath it all is that many Christians cannot speak the gospel, articulate the gospel, that they were saved by hearing. Can you speak the gospel? Can you articulate it? You see, no matter who stands on the stage, it don't matter how awesome you know, Chad's worship leading is or, or Jordan or our team up here. It doesn't matter how great it is. And when we say they do a really good job, it doesn't matter how awesome David's red hair is or, or how cool our programs are or how awesome our wings are that they're going to eat later in our Connect event. It doesn't matter about all of that. See, those things don't improve anybody's spiritual condition. Romans tells us that the gospel, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And so it is an indictment on the church if we cannot speak the gospel. So we've got to be a people that give ourselves to understanding the gospel and articulating the gospel, even if we have to lock ourselves in our room and practice it. We've got to be able to, as we are praying for intentional opportunities, can you speak the gospel in those opportunities? First and foremost, we've got to go with the gospel. We've got to meet the, the needs of people, but we've got to go with the gospel. And it says that Jesus was teaching and proclaiming and he was healing every disease and affliction. Every disease and affliction. You know, throughout the, uh, the Bible we have accounts of Jesus and, and if you are familiar with his life, you know that he, was, uh, he would heal uh, often. He would heal the leper. Uh, he, he, he healed the, you know, the, the one with leprosy. He, he gave, uh, he restored sight to the blind. He he allowed and gave ability for the lame to get up and walk. He was sovereign over every ailment. And he is today. I believe Jesus is still in the business of healing. God is still in the business of healing, although I believe it happens very differently than what we see on TV by a TV evangelist. 
right? You're not going to buy no 25 cent, you know, cup of nothing that's going to fix something you've got going on, right? There's no, uh, you know, cloth that you're going to be able to lay on your head that's going to fix your funk, right? That's not going to happen. I believe it happens much differently. But personally, I don't have the gift of healing. I'm going to tell you guys that, all right? I'm not laying hands on anybody, all right? I, I, don't, I don't have the gift of healing, and neither have I met anybody that does. But more practically, what I believe this verse is calling us to do is meet the needs of people, to minister to people's needs as they come about. So he was speaking the gospel, but he was also ministering and meeting the needs of people as these opportunities came about. He was living an intentional gospel-centered life, and we're called to do the same. He is our model of living sin. As our church strives to live sin, we must look no further than, than Jesus and his model. Whether you're working a nine-to-five at the office in Nashville, you're chasing your dog off a leash through your neighborhood, do you see this as an opportunity? Are you living missionally? Maybe you're catching a movie over at Case and Lane, or you might be sitting next to a man with his belly pain at the Preds game or something like that. Are you, are you off the clock, or are you looking at, at this as an intentional opportunity to speak the gospel to somebody? Are you listening so you can meet the needs of someone as opportunities arise? Jesus was missional in the natural flow of his life as he went. He was going throughout, and he was missional. And we're called to do the same. Verse 36, incredible passage, says that when he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion for them. So Jesus is going throughout. He's teaching. He's proclaiming. He's healing. He's meeting the needs of people. He's in with the people. When he saw the crowds, it said he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is so important that we see this. And, and, and really to understand the full depth of what's going on in this passage, it's important that we understand uh, the original language for this word uh, compassion. I want you to underline that, compassion. And I want to uh, kind of preface what I'm fixing to do with telling you I'm not a Greek scholar, okay, nor do I claim to be one, but, but there's a really cool Bible study tool where you can click there and you can listen to a Greek word and look at the original context. And I did it over and over and over and over so I could do what I'm fixing to do right now. This word, the root word of, uh, for compassion in the Greek is the word splognon. Everybody clap. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> right? Splognon. Right? Now, now this, the reason I did that is so you can understand that splognon is, where, is a word that means gut, which is where we get the word spleen. Okay? So, so that you understand. Now, the progression of this Greek word, the etymology of this Greek word, is it kind of leads to another larger uh, Greek word that I'm not going to pronounce, but it means to be moved in the gut. That is the, that is the word for compassion in the Greek. It's this, it's this compassion is this moving, overwhelming feeling in the gut. It says that as Jesus was out, as he was proclaiming, as he was preaching, as he was teaching and, and healing every disease and affliction of these people, he's immersed in people, and he has this overwhelming feeling that comes over him, and it's not an intellectual feeling. Right? It's not something you, you feel throb or, 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 or something in your heart. Maybe you've felt this before. You've seen something. Uh, you've been immersed in some, some situation, and you had compassion. This was a feeling. If it was compassion, as the Bible speaks of it here, that was, that was in your gut, it, was, it overwhelmed you. It almost made you sick. It, so you had this twisting, turning feeling within you. It was a deep, moving feeling. You know, in the... Uh, in the context that the scripture was written, it was written to a Middle Eastern Jewish context, and the thought for Middle Eastern Jews and Greeks was that the seat of emotion 
and feeling was in the stomach, in the bowels. You know, in our Western thought, you know, we, we've made it a lot prettier, and we've, we've said, oh, my, my, I have a heart throb, or you broke my heart, or that's where, you know, our, our, our feeling is, right? When the Grinch, uh, you know, got a little better, his heart grew three sizes or something, right? That's where we, that's a Western thought, but that's not the biblical thought. The biblical thought is that the seat of emotion is in the bowels. And I know this is about as pretty as Donald Trump, but, but we have to understand what this means as, as it carries itself into uh, the passage. When my wife met me for the first time, she had butterflies in her stomach, right? First time she saw me. Uh, I'm sorry. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he was overwhelmed with a compassion for them, for these people that was harassed and helpless, it says, for sheep without a shepherd. See, sheep need a shepherd, and Jesus knows this. If the sheep was to get out of the flock and, and stray away, it, it might run out into the pasture, and it'd be okay for a while, but it, one day the pasture would run out and, and it would starve. Or they might run down into the woods and get tangled in some thicket or some uh, barbed wire or something, and, and it, could, it could get harassed by the elements, it could be harassed by outside wildlife or whatever the case is. Jesus sees people this way that don't know him. And, and as we are a church that, that was wanting to see God do an incredible thing within our ministry here, we must, have a, we must be a people that sees uh, those who don't know Jesus similarly. As sheep without a shepherd. And, and if you're in the room today, maybe you're, you're in this audience that Jesus is speaking of. You, you don't know Jesus, and, or, or, or maybe you know someone who is. And, and the reality is, is that you, you might be running out into a field of your own sinful pleasure, but one day that pasture is going to run dry. Jesus says in that moment, they're going to starve on their own sinful desire. They maybe become entangled in some ideology or some lifestyle that our society or culture promotes. But Jesus says without a shepherd, these sheep are harassed and helpless. Do we see lost people this way? Do you see those in your neighborhood that don't know him this way? Do you see this potential, this opportunity in Murfreesboro of all these people that God is bringing to our area? Do you see this in light of how Jesus has presented it? There are people, there is a flock of sheep coming to this area that have no shepherd. But I want us to see when Jesus felt this overwhelming, moving compassion, this gospel-centered, godly compassion, when this came over him, it says, when he saw the crowds, he felt this compassion. It was when Jesus was out with the people that he had this compassion that came over him. You know, a few years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity, it was actually about five years ago, to go to Haiti. It was shortly after the earthquake uh, in Haiti that, if you know, it just devastated that area. Um, we went, I think it was maybe a year later, uh, it, we went to, to Haiti, and, uh, you know, I had no kind of deep feeling for this trip. It wasn't like I had a sign, Jesus said, go to Haiti. It wasn't anything like that. It was my first mission experience ever. Uh, I, and so, to be honest with you, the opportunity to get my passport stamp was enough to get me on the plane. And on this side of, of the trip, I had uh, a lot of different, you know, thoughts about the trip. I had some preconceived ideas. I knew it was going to be hot. Right? I knew that there were going to be mosquitoes. I knew that there was going to be dusty. I knew there was a lot of people. Haiti is heavily, heavily populated. 
But what I didn't understand and what I didn't account for was what God would do with, with me as I went. And I remember, I can, I can remember the place almost today uh, and what it felt like, what it smelled like, and the heat and, and just this feeling. Uh, when I was there, we were immersed in people everywhere. And we were going to this orphanage to uh, just see some kids that one of the ministry leaders, they, they had started this orphanage there and built this building. And the, even the best in Haiti was still uh, terrible. And we went to this orphanage. I remember standing inside this center block orphanage, and there was about 20 kids in this orphanage, 20 or 30 kids in this orphanage, and just this heat overwhelming you, this dust just almost makes it hard to breathe. And, and these, these kids are out front, and I remember standing inside of it just looking at where they slept on these mattresses that were just compressed and dirty and dusty and uh, just seeing the bathroom where it was just nothing literally but a hole in the floor. And, and then in the heat, and we, we said, you know, let's get some water for these kids. And we, we got this bag, uh, it's like a trash bag full of these, these water bags, basically. It was like these little pouches of water. They would bite the edge off of it and just squeeze it into their mouths just to get a little bit of relief from the heat. And I remember in that moment, like, carrying this bag of, uh, with all of these, these little packets of water in it to the orphanage to divide it out, kind of hand it out, and just feeling these kids pulling on my arm, beating the side of me, just trying to get into this bag to get some of this water, and I was overwhelmed. It wasn't something I planned. It wasn't something I foresaw. It wasn't something that, uh, that I, I, I was looking for. It was something that as I was going, as I was in the middle of obedient ministry, God overwhelmed me for these people. And I saw their physical need. I saw that, man, that these sleeping conditions are awful and these kids have no one to love them, no one to pour into them, no one to lead them in the way they should go. There was no one that would care for them or give them things as, as, just to reward them and tell them they're proud of them. I, there was, they had none of that. But a bigger uh, feeling that God gave me, this compassion he gave me, was for their spiritual condition. That these kids had, uh, although they were beating my arm off trying to get a, a packet of water, that they were thirsty for something far greater than this water. And although this water might, give them might quench their thirst for a moment, that there was a great spiritual thirst within them. And Jesus was the only one that could, that could quench it. So I had this compassion come over me. And this is what this text is trying to point out and relate to us. That Jesus was moved as he went. He didn't sit back and wait for a sign to begin living obedient ministry. So often we sit and, and we say, I, I've got to have a burning bush to get involved in our homeless ministry. We have a calling. Jesus has called us to go. Matthew 28, it's the same for every believer to go. Therefore, there it is. If we identify with Jesus, we have been called. And we don't need to get, wait until we get a warm fuzzy to start prepare, to, to taking care of the needs of our neighbors or our coworkers or someone that we, we hear of in the church that's needing. That's why our small group ministry and our connect event is so important that, because this is how the, the large church becomes very small. And we begin to, as the first century church did, divide and even sell our own possessions if that's what it takes so that we could divvy out and provide for those who have need. Jesus had compassion for the lost, and we need to pray that we would as well. For those that don't know him, for sheep without a shepherd, Jesus had compassion. Are you praying that God would give you a compassion for Murfreesboro? Not for the mall, not for an event, but for the people of Murfreesboro. Do you see faces? 
Do you see individuals? You see, compassion is not something that happens naturally. Compassion is a product of prayer. And if this church wants to be a church that has incredible influence, we've got to be a people that are praying that God would break our hearts for this community. Praying ignites sending. Are you praying? And then as Jesus was moved with this godly gospel compassion, he's in the midst of the people. He turns his sights to you and I and, and to his disciples. And he says this, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus says there's a lot of work to be done. Nashville, Murfreesboro, Smyrna is growing so fast. People are coming from all over the world to this area, and there is incredible work to be done. There is a lot of needs to be met, and there are few to do it. And so our natural inclination to this verse is to say, let's, let's drum up some more help. Let's get a ministry fair going. Let's get out front with some balloons and cookies, and let's get these people in place. What's he say? In response to this incredible task that there are too few to do, what's he say? Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. See, Jesus is not concerned with our planning. He is concerned with our praying. He wants to see a people that are dependent and devoted to him, understanding that we can do nothing. I don't care how charismatic this body is. I don't care how, uh, how awesome your, your talents are or how gifted we are. And, and we might have the, uh, just incredible, influential people in this room. Apart from God's hand on this body, we are laboring in vain. He says, pray. Pray earnestly. Notice who he's telling us to pray to, the Lord of the harvest. Listen, church. This church will grow. But if it grows, it's because of, it's the Lord's. The Lord promised to build his church. The harvest is the Lord's. The work of the ministry is the Lord's. But in his divine sovereignty, God has decreed it that a harvest would be preceded by a, a praying people. He says, I will build my church, but I need you to devote yourselves to praying. I need you to come to me, to be dependent on me, to, to, to show your devotion to me. Praying ignites sending. And many of us are cool with this, to be honest. We're cool with the prayer. We'll say, yes, God, I will pray that you would send out laborers. I will pray that. Send them out, God. Send out laborers just not me. I'll pray that. Send them out, Lord, just not me. This prayer is not a prayer to omit yourself from. Jesus has called us to pray earnestly that he would send out laborers into the harvest, even if that's you. So my question is, are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying that God would give you a compassion for people? Are you praying that he would put names on your heart? I don't know where you do your devotional time, how that kind of plans out in your life, but are you intentionally naming people that you work with, that you live next to, that you run into on a consistent basis? Are you praying for them, that, that God would invade their lives, that he would reorient their passions, and that he would call them to himself? Are you praying this? 
We've got to be a people. We've got to be a church that prays for people. You know, we have sent out ones, ones that have been sent out from this church. We have laborers today on the mission field, and we've, uh, we have an incredible opportunity today. You can go by the Go Center, and we have prayer cards. And it's not just pick up a prayer card, go stick it on your refrigerator, throw it in your car, and look at it once a semester. That's not what we're asking. We're asking that you commit to praying for them. And I'll tell you what, we're, gonna, we're up the ante. We're going to give them that card. And we're going to communicate to these missionaries, these laborers on the field. We're going to say, hey, this person, here's their name, contact information. They're going to be getting in touch with you. They're going to begin communicating with you. They're praying for you today. Are we praying? Are we praying? Praying ignites sending. As we begin to communicate with these people, as we begin to pray for these people, God might begin, just maybe, to do a work in your heart, call you to abandon something, and go join them. But maybe you're in a room and you cannot commit to praying, to, or, or you, can, you can commit to praying, but maybe you can't commit to going across the ocean. You're like, bro, my, my job's too much, I have too many uh, issues going on, I, I just can't do it in this time. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you commit to going across your street? Can you go next door? Can you have your neighbors over? Can you show them Christ's love in, in your context? At your college campus, are you intentional with the opportunities that God has given you and placed you in, in a moment in your life where you might have the most influence? Do you use it intentionally? In high school, are you understanding the opportunities God's given you for influence? And are you praying that he would give you a compassion for the people? The band's going to come, and they're going to close us out. And What I want to happen is I don't want it just to be a body that we, we know a lot about prayer. I want us to participate this morning. I want, as the band's going to lead us and, and close us out, we're going to actually participate in this. We're going to have a moment this morning where I'm going to ask you to begin praying that the Lord would do a work in you, that he would begin identifying people and placing them on your heart, putting names in your mind that you can begin praying for even this morning, that maybe you need to pray for this body. We need to pray for Murfreesboro, that God would draw people here, not because of a program, but so that people without a shepherd can come to know Jesus. Are we praying this? Maybe you're in here today and you don't know Jesus. You, you've never surrendered your life to him. And so you've been living your life, the tune of your own drum. You've been pursuing whatever passion and desire that you, this world communicates, this society promotes. The same compassion that Jesus has for the crowds don't know him, he has for you today in a very personal way. It doesn't matter what you walked in here with. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter what thing you think you lack. Jesus says, I have compassion for you. There is grace for you. And so right now, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray over this room. 
here in a moment, but I'm going to ask right now that you begin to do business with the Lord. If you don't know him, you can come out to the back of the room to the next steps area after our service. I want to meet you. I want to sit with you. I want to, I want to begin to have conversations about what this looks like in your life, your next steps on your christ through journey. Maybe you're in here. You've already made it a commitment with the Lord, but you've never taken that next step in obedience to be baptized. We have an incredible opportunity February 7th for you to join, to, to, to come and to, to, to take that step. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to help you get ready for that moment. So right now, won't you do business with the Lord however he leads? You just pray where you're at. Maybe if you need to kneel, you can do that. If you need to come to the front, this is available for you. As he leads, you, you respond. God, we love you. God, we thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you that, that you have placed a compassion on this church for lost. God, I pray that you would continue to. God, personally, God, I pray that you would put names on the hearts of your people. God, I pray that you would overwhelm this room with a godly gospel compassion, Father, with a concern for those who are like sheep without a shepherd. Father, I pray that if we're in the room today, God, and we, uh, Father, have not surrendered our lives to you. God, I pray you would open eyes for the first time, that you would call individuals to life for the first time. God, our church, we, we depend on you, God. We, we confess that we're in over our heads, that this mission is too great, God, that the costs are too high, Father. God, we need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. We need your hand on this church, Father. God, would you begin to open our eyes to the opportunities around us, on our campuses, in our workplaces, in the places that we go to entertain ourselves. God, I pray that we would see opportunity around us, a harvest that's plentiful. And God, I pray that the church today, Father, we would see ourselves as a people devoted to you, God, and as you lead, God, I pray that we would respond to the needs of people, that we would take advantage of the opportunities to speak and proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard it, that because, Father, of our dependence on you, God, that you would move for your glory among the nations. God, we love you, and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.